0: So before we, before we jump in, I want to share a quick story with you. I want to tell you about a relationship or a friendship that I had growing up. And I don't want to share uh, this guy's name with you, so I'm going to change his name, and I'm going to call him Zach. Zach Morris. Anybody? Know that name? Okay. Got a few people that watch Saved by the Bell. That was my show growing up. So Zach Morris is going to be his name. My friend wasn't nearly as cool as Zach Morris. He didn't have the style or the hair or the charm that Zach Morris had. But nonetheless, that's going to be his name because I like that name. So my friend Zach, we met each other in kindergarten. Okay, we grew up together. We met each other in school. We had the same teacher. Um, We had the same baseball team. Um, As we grew up, I went over and I stayed the night at his house regularly. He was one of those guys that always had the new gaming system. So we would stay up all hours of the night playing Sega Genesis and Sonic the Hedgehog. I remember in Winter Storm 94. Anybody remember Winter Storm 94? Yeah, so I was in middle school at that time. We got a lot, of, a lot of snow. I think it was somewhere around 12 to, I don't know, 36 inches. I, my memory doesn't remember that well, but it was a lot of snow. I remember staying the night over, snowed in, and just sledding down um, a hill outside of his house. I felt like we were close. We got into middle school. Uh, we had, still had the same teachers. I had a lot going on. We played basketball together um, some. But then just one day, I felt like out of nowhere, my friend Zach was gone. In fact, I had heard he had been gone for about a week when I finally asked someone what happened to Zach. In fact, I asked a couple people. They didn't know that he was gone. They couldn't tell me what happened to him. But I finally found someone. They said, "I I think he went to a private school in Louisville. Now, what's really sad about this story is how long it took me to realize he was gone. But what's even more sad is I can't even tell you how old I was, what year I was. But we'd spent... Time after time together, what I thought was a great relationship, a great friendship. But as I think about my friendship, my relationship with Zach Morris, I realized that our relationship actually revealed a lot about me as a friend. I was his friend because of circumstance. We went to school together, we had the same classes, we played on the same teams. I also realized that I was a selfish friend. I came to faith when I was nine years old, came to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And I don't recall one time throughout our entire friendship, me sharing my faith in Jesus Christ with my friend, Zach. I don't even recall inviting him to church one time. This morning, I would suggest this to us all, that relationships reveal who we are. Our relationships reveal who we are. If this is true, what do your relationships reveal about you? I want you to take an inventory really quickly, maybe even for some of you, just close your eyes and think about some of the very most important relationships. What relationships do you value the most? What relationships are the top priority for you? For what reasons do you create new relationships? What do your relationships reveal about you. For some of us, the earthly relationships that are the most important to us are the relationship with our spouse or with our significant other. And if I were to ask your spouse, if I were to ask your husband or your wife, how do you feel valued, what would they say? How do they prioritize you in their life? What would their answers be? What would your husband say about you as a wife and the way that you treat them, the way that you speak? To them, What would your wife say about you as a husband on how much time and how much energy you give to them? Maybe for you, the most important earthly relationship you have is the relationship you have with your child or with a parent or a grandchild. What does this relationship reveal about you? Do you make this relationship a priority? Does the way that you speak to or treat your parent or your child reveal just how much you love them or does it really reveal just how much you want them to change and be like somebody else? Or maybe for you, the earthly relationship that you value the most is, is one with a friend or one with a sibling. If this is you, what does your relationship reveal about you as a friend or a sibling? Are you a better friend to your friend than they are to you? Are you a better brother to your sister than she is a sister to you? Do you sacrifice your wants, your desires to encourage your sibling or your friend to uplift them and encourage them? Or do you only spend time with them because they make you feel good, it's convenient for you, and it's easy? Relationships reveal who we are. How we treat people in our relationships, what we say to others, the roles that we lead in our relationships, they all reveal who we truly are. What do your relationships reveal about you? Hopefully you're able to find your way to John chapter 19, uh, verse 26 and 27. We're in week three of this wonderful series called Words from the Cross. So we're covering the seven last sayings of Jesus as he is nailed up to the cross. Two weeks ago, Pastor Larry unpacked for us the first week, and the topic was forgiveness, where we see Jesus speaking to his Father when he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then last week, we talked about salvation and how Jesus offers the gift of salvation to us should we respond to what he did on the cross, and he exemplifies this when he speaks to the criminal next to him, when he says, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise, and now we flip over from the book of Luke to the book of John, and we look at the third saying, one that might be a little bit less familiar to us, but let's read it together this morning. John chapter 19, verses 26 and 27. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour The disciple took her to his own home. I've been saying that relationships reveal who we are. Now we could spend some time looking at Mary and how much her relationship with Jesus reveals a lot about her. We could do the same for the disciple whom Jesus loved. Most scholars agree, and I would agree with this, that this disciple is the Apostle John, the one who's writing this book. We could look at his life and look at his relationship with Jesus and see how much it reveals about him. But in the time that we have this morning and from this passage, I would like for us to look at how Jesus' relationship with his mother reveals who Jesus is. Who Jesus is. So with that said, I want to share three things from this text that reveal who Jesus is. The first thing we see is that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. I want to draw your attention to the, what he calls his mother, Mary. He calls her woman. Anybody in here brave enough to raise their hand and say that they call their mother woman? All right, we got a, a few. You guys are much braver than I am. I can't imagine growing up and coming home from school one day and be like, Woman, I'm home. Or I can't imagine my son, three years old, walking, walking into to my wife, Jenny, and saying, Woman, what's for dinner? It would be a bad, bad sight in our household. So this is a bit surprising here when the Son of God calls his mother woman. Surprising. Surprising things in the Bible, though, have meaning. This is not a disrespectful thing because in him there was no sin. So what's the point? I believe that Jesus the Son shows that his relationship with God the Father is paramount. I believe that Jesus shows that his allegiance to his father's will are above his mother's will, his earthly mother's. We see Jesus use this same word. If you jump back just a few chapters to the beginning, the book of John, in chapter 2 and verse 4, this is where Jesus and his mother, they're at the wedding at Cana. Um, Jesus is about ready to perform his first miracle on earth in his ministry where he turns the water into wine. Mary goes up to Jesus who says that, the, that they have no more wine, and Jesus calls her woman. I believe he is making a distinction between his familiar relationships and the priority in the relationship that he has with God his Father. Luke chapter 11 verses 27 and 28 says this, and he said these things, and he in this in this uh, verse is Jesus. And he said these things. A woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the woman that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. But he said, Jesus replies and says, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Then in Mark 3, verse 31 and 35, through 35, we read this. And his mother and his brothers came. Again, we're speaking about Jesus' mother and his brothers. They came and standing outside, they sent to him and they called him. And a crowd was sitting around them and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And this is how Jesus responds. He answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about... At those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Listen to this, verse 35 For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. So when Jesus calls his earthly mother, woman, even in his weakest moments, he's about ready to die, he is showing that he is the Son of God. Jesus' relationship with Mary points to his relationship with God the Father. Does your relationship with Jesus, with your family members, with whomever, do your relationships point to your relationship with God the Father? From this, and I think in perfect harmony with the entire Bible, we must recognize one really important thing about Jesus, that Jesus is God. He's the son of God. He is God. He is 100% God. We see this in several passages. If you're a note taker, I'm going to list these off for you. But we see several passages where we see that Jesus is the heavenly eternal son who is equal to God himself. We see this in Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 through 30. We see this in Matthew chapter 17 and verse 5. We see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 28. We see this in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, verse 5, and verse 8, and those are just a few among many, that Jesus is God himself, the Son of God equal to God himself. Now in Matthew verse 33 of chapter 14, we, we read that the disciples begin to recognize the deity of Jesus because of his relationships with them. We read in Matthew 14, verse 33, And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. So the whole Bible reveals that Jesus is God. From this text, from his relationship with his mother Mary, Jesus reveals his identity as God. From this text, Jesus is again pointing people to a right relationship with God the Father. In his last moments and One of his last sayings, he continues to point people to God the Father. Unfortunately, unbeknownst to many of the people that were there witnessing the crucifixion of Jesus, they're blind to the fact that him being up on the cross is actually the bridge to that relationship with God the Father. Only someone who is the infinite God could bear the penalty of sin on the cross, Jesus reveals his deity in every relationship that he has with people. Do you have a relationship with the Son of God? Do you have a relationship with God himself? And if you do, what does your relationship with Jesus Christ reveal about you? Second, from this passage, we also see that Jesus is the Son of Man. Jesus is the Son of God. He's also the Son of Man. This is something that's difficult in my mind to understand. Um, He is 100% God. Jesus is also 100% man. If you've heard anyone give a sermon on the Trinity, we talk about how the Trinity is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Three persons, one nature. Well, Jesus is two natures and one person. One person. Our finite minds can't understand it. But it's so very important for us to realize this and realize that scripture teaches this. In the person that is Jesus, God became man incarnate. God put on flesh. The fact that Jesus is fully man is evidenced here in this passage by the way that he cares for his earthly mother. By the way that he cares. He fulfills his duty as a son when he says, woman, this is your son. I'm about to die. This is now your son and this is now your mother. He's caring for his earthly Mother, we as Christians, we're called to care for our family. In First Timothy chapter five and verse eight, we read this: "But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Jesus has been brutally beaten, so much so he can't physically carry the cross. Yet in his physical weakness, Jesus continues to show affection for his mother. He shows his humanity. He cares deeply for his earthly relationships. He's fully man, able to think and feel just like me. Now, if you're like me and you read this passage, some of you may be asking the question, why does Jesus have Mary, his earthly mother, go with his disciple rather than having him go with his earthly brothers? Why would he do that? Well, we read here that he gives him to the disciple whom he loved, which we mentioned is the apostle John, to treat as Mary, uh, to treat Mary as his own mother. And I believe the reason he doesn't give them to his earthly brothers is because in John chapter seven, as we look back, it says this, for not even his brothers believed in him. So at this point in his ministry, when Jesus is about to die, even his brothers don't recognize him as Savior and as Lord. And so rather than putting him with his physical earthly brothers, and just taking care of his physical needs, he recognizes the importance that his mother needs to have her spiritual needs taken care of, most importantly. He sends his mother in the care of the disciple whom Jesus loved and the disciple whom loved Jesus. Jesus knew that John believed in him, cared for him, called him Messiah, called him Savior, Now, we talked about why it's so important that Jesus is God. He's the only one who could take on the full brunt of the penalty from God, the Father. But why is it important that Jesus is also man? There's several reasons, so many things, but I want to share with you three. Three reasons it's important to recognize that Jesus is fully man, the Son of Man. The first is this, to be our representative. To be our representative in the last song we sang before this, we talked about the last Adam. And this is Jesus. You see, where the first Adam failed, the last Adam, Jesus, succeeded. In Romans chapter 5, verses 18 and 19, we read this Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedient Adam, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, Jesus, the many will be made righteous. He is our representative. He is also our substitute. You see, Jesus, he died in our place. A man died for mankind. When speaking about Jesus, the writer of Hebrews says this in chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. "'Therefore he had to be made like his brothers "'in every respect so that he might become "'a merciful and faithful high priest "'in the service of God "'to make propitiation for the sins of his people. "'For because he himself has suffered when tempted, "'he is able to help those who are being tempted.'" He is our substitute. He was tempted. He is able to help us as men and women when we are tempted.'" So he's our representative, he's our substitute, but he's also our example. Jesus put on flesh so that we might strive in this life to be more and more like him. We call this sanctification. When you come to faith in Jesus, you receive the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit now goes to war against our earthly flesh and desires. And that process of sanctification is to look more and more like Jesus Christ. He is our example in 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, we read this. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. You see, Jesus walked as a man. Therefore, we try to walk as he walked. He's our representative. He is our substitute. He is our example. Do you know the Son of Man? Jesus Christ, who is fully man. Do you have a relationship with him? If you do... What does your relationship with Jesus reveal about you? So far, we've seen from the third saying on the cross that Jesus is fully God. He's fully man. But the final thing we see here is that Jesus is our advocate. Jesus is our advocate. An advocate is someone who pleads the cause of another. An Advocate is someone who pleads the cause of another. When I played high school football, I think many of you that know me, you know I was the kicker on my high school football team. I had an advocate for me on the high school football team my junior year of high school. As the kicker, my holder, his name was Josh Kelly. My holder was also a wide receiver, but he held for me. He was my advocate on the field. You know how I knew that? Because Josh was a super quiet guy got along with everyone, was friends with everyone. But on the football field, if anyone tried to say anything or get into my head, Josh turned into a monster, all right? He turned into a monster, and he would tell people, he's like, you don't talk to my kicker like that. Remember one time getting hit late after a kick, and before I could even get up off the ground, five-foot, eight-inch Josh was all up in the face of this six-foot, three-inch lineman and just telling him, hey, you don't hit my kicker. He was my advocate he pleaded my cause because, in reality, I couldn't because I was like 170 pounds and these guys were huge. But he pleaded my cause because he was my advocate. Let's look at Mary in this situation. This is the most difficult time in Mary's life. If your parent tried to empathize you, I'm sure you can. Imagine your son, the one that you raised, the one that you love, sitting up on a cross, nailed. Nails in his hands, nails in his feet up on that cross, and you're there. Imagine what it must be like to prepare yourself to witness him about to be crucified. It was her most difficult moment, her greatest hour of need. In fact, this moment, I believe, is the fulfillment of Simeon's prophecy that we read about in Luke chapter 2, verses 34 and 30, 35. It says this, And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So we know that Jesus' physical side gets pierced, but Simeon is saying that Mary's soul will be pierced. And I believe that this is the moment where this takes place. Mary's soul is pierced, she is in anguish. From her view at the foot of the cross, Jesus recognizes Mary's greatest hour of need. Will Jesus, too, not recognize your hour of need if you come to the foot of the cross? He is our advocate. Jesus advocated on behalf of Mary on the day that he was about to be crucified when he says, woman, this is your son. And John, I need you to take her with you when you leave this place. He advocated for her. First John chapter 2 and verse 1 says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Friends, everyone has relationships. But not everyone invests in their relationships. My relationship with Zach Morris, it did not reveal who Jesus Christ was in my life. I'm sad to say that. But I do believe that relationships reveal who we are. Do you have a relationship with God himself, the Son of God, Jesus Christ? Do you have a relationship with the Son of Man, the one who was fully man, Jesus Christ? Do you have a relationship with the one who matters Most? And if so, what does your relationship with Jesus Christ reveal about you?